Shovda. So um, I have to apologize. We got disconnected there for uh, technical problems. Such is the COVID life. Uh, when we got dropped off, I had started talking about, uh, or I was, we were articulating the importance of quantized data and how we prescribe importance to it when we're interpreting it. And you had used the, before we got disconnected, you were in the process of um, articulating a thought along the lines of, uh, I used to know where the political parties uh, values lie, like where their interests lie and where they were, I guess lie is a bad word because it's a pun, but <laughs> you were saying you, you used to be able to tell, you know, the lies from the actual policy positions and now it's be become so ambiguous that it's become hard to distinguish yeah, the, even, the actual party lines. It's not even, like I can, I, I, I see where everyone's lining up on sides uh and this isn't this doesn't just go for political stuff uh this can go for you know sports car brands uh what's your favorite gym uh type of food you like which restaurants are good in town uh it's technology has at once made it easier to find these things out what is the benefit of buying a car like this over this type of car when they're both sedans or whatever or how does this restaurant down the street compare to that other similar restaurant you know maybe but at the same time you rely on data to tell you these things such as you know what are the reviews of the restaurant what's this political party doing uh what is their vision of the future or how does this the engine in that car work uh, or, um, but at the same time, you can just go ask the party at their local, you know, place. You can email them, you can go talk to them, you can drive the car, you can go try both restaurants and make a decision for yourself. Go get your own data. Um, but it seems to be that information is not just becoming hard to find because it isn't hard to find it's here's what you want to see and you're seeing this a lot with google um here's what not just what you we think you want to see but based on what we think of you here's what we think you should see uh and it doesn't unfortunately it gives you like oh okay this is what i'm seeing but it doesn't give you a very nuanced uh view of this so um i guess examples would be uh typing in racial characteristics into the google search engine where you get some odd results uh based on what you type in um such as like if you type in uh like white man you get a bunch of pictures of sketchy white men and uh, a lot of uh other uh races mixed in but when you type in black men into google you get a lot of pictures of exactly what you're looking for uh attractive happy black men uh which is, seems a little odd uh and this is uh a 
example of bias, but it's also an example of um, am I getting what I'm wanting when I look up, uh, you know, just banal things like uh, where's the local bread shop? <laughs> um, so we, I think what I'm getting at is there's an ambiguity to it and there's a trust that is kind of waiting for as before we is like ones and zeros don't lie it's all garbage in garbage out which was true and it still is true to some extent but the structures of our digital world now are so complex that we can't see the forest for the trees anymore and i think digital literacy will help with that a lot but i think we're also i'm getting us off track unless you have thoughts Oh, I have plenty. I just, I'm trying to follow, um, I'm trying to follow your lead on, on that tangent, just to, maybe I can elaborate a little bit better by, by giving some, um, some mirror examples. Mm -hmm. So what I would conjecture the more pernicious aspect of our data society being right now is not so much the, the intent of finding matching advertisements to consumers. I think that's there and it's an issue, but it's not our biggest issue. What I would suggest is the bigger issue would be when we do go look up, fact check something that we see or read, we always do it on Google. Google yes. only supplies us with certain scholarly ar articles, but Google has Google Scholar set up, which is like this big inexhaustible resource of scholarly articles, but those are also only going to be displaying by popularity, citation, and relevance to the search criteria that you entered. But there, so part of the, the element of trust that you were saying, I think, is implied that, you know, the search engine we're using or the algorithm we're using is impartial, and that's just flat out not true. We no. just, we assume that because it was once true or because we'd like it to be true, that that's the fact. It's, that it's or, certainly not the case that if you look up archival studies that because you're near me and because they have data that we talk to each other that yours will show up. It just, it won't. No. Because they're more interested in giving me something that they want me to find applicable than they are in giving me something that I'm actually looking for. Yeah, and if so you find stuff that, if, if it's constantly giving you stuff that you like, then you're not going to question it because it's like, Google's going to give you what you want. And then if you're like, oh, yeah. yes, and this is going to, you know, you're not going to think about confirmation it. bias that you were talking about, too. So it yeah. goes into the other. But, so that that's one example I wanted to use to sort of tie into to what you were saying. But another one I might use, like I would conjecture that even overall choosing a source. Like which study that you choose to base your your policy or decision on or your, or your political platform that in and of itself is its own data point. So if I wanted a set of data that say, well, where's this economic policy founded, they're going to have OECD studies. They're going to have economist studies. They're going to maybe cite a couple books that were published by reputable economists, um, federal reserve minutes and meetings. They might reference those for the trajectory of the, of, of where like, central banks are guiding and trying to steer they call it forward guidance but it's really just telling rich people how how, how to invest safely <laughs> it doesn't help anybody other than billionaires 
to give forward guidance on economic policy for the country that nobody else is reading, right? Mm. How many people are opening the Wall Street Journal and getting quotes of the FOMC meeting minutes? Like nobody, but traders, like people who day trade like I did, they, they read that stuff the minute it comes out and they want to be the first to interpret it accurately. Right. So our choice of data is also a set of data in and of itself. And this is one of those recursive things that we come into with sociology and psychology and a lot of sciences where there is this infinitum that they can cycle over each other. Cause then my collection of data sources in it is in and of itself a data set and many political parties can have collections of data sources and those all together might be another collection of data. Right. And they could be used to extrapolate what a continent might be doing or what humanity is doing. Right. Historically so we've done. <laughs> if you are say someone who has a massive server space and a uh, connection to thousands of uh, email accounts and uh, which are all connected to other things. So Facebook, Gmail, uh, and Google, they're all connected. You can sign into things with your Google account now. And you can, mm -hmm. instead of going out and getting a poll, which is inherently, like we talked, it's unreliable at best and a nuisance, <laughs> mostly, um, you can just put all the data you already have together. And if you are savvy with it, you can form a reasonable picture of what everyone's doing uh, because you have you know 200 million different accounts and this and that and you can sort through it and put it together and compile it all into well who's going to win the next election uh, based on what we see uh, who's going to uh, if we put this bill forward who's going to go uh, or then you know someone like um, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, some company comes out and says, if I uh, put this um, movie out, say, uh, during this season, uh, does your data show how much I can be projected to, uh, how many people will conform to go to see it? Um, and then uh, I'll be like, well, actually, we ran the data with the movie and it seems like you should do a release on this date seems to be the best and therefore go and so you can use the data and if you're using it properly i don't want to say like you have some uh asimov type psycho history stuff but you could use it to make predictions now, I'm not saying read the future because I'm also not insinuating that these predictions will be in any way correct, but people will use them as if they are uh, because, you know, a massive amount of data, a massive amount of trust. Uh, you have these big uh, institutions that um, are using it. Uh, the other thing is that we don't really know because we haven't done this. We pretend that we know because uh, we, we couldn't figure out the last election and now we're, we know what's going to happen with this one because, you know, we want it to be true or not. Uh, but there's still a lot of people off the grid. There's still a lot of people that say one thing online and do another thing. So the data, uh, it's still very complicated. But it can be. Potential but I think is that, there. 
it comes down to like you said fun um numeracy literacy mm -hmm. i'd like to get into literacy. that too because digital literacy and digital that's the used word yeah is we all are we're like we're all um society is 99 percent literate um and that one percent is semi-literate because you can't not be uh the ads almost require you to be literate uh well, everything from, you can't even learn to play a video game these days just by picking up a controller like you have to read the instructions exactly like the, the tutorials and walkthroughs and which has made us all more capable you know reading increases your uh your potential of action to such a degree that like it's it's insane uh but i don't think that we've taken the use of data into account because the use of data does for society what you know reading and the printing press the literacy did for you know the feudal society and we were just we're on the cusp but uh just as they were but it's a lot more complicated than um putting down uh sounds into characters and then regurgitating those sounds in your head uh there's because reading is it's almost uh primitive base compared to what we are creating right now um which is understandable it's not some mystical magic and that's i think where we uh where we kind of started this is that a lot of people consider this you know these ones and zeros to be magic but if you start and uh i taught a class recently uh to a young man who we the history of computing and i started with one of the things i started with was a transistor here's how you create a one Here's how you create a zero. Uh, and then you can put the zeros and ones together like this. And here's how you turn a one and a zero into this sentence. And here's how you turn this sentence, you know, uh, into a uh, into a function and display it. And it, it's basic, but it's almost the same as teaching, showing someone how a printing press makes a book i think i'm reaching though what do you think <laughs> <laughs> i i would but only because my um my, my professional focus and use of data has been for so long finding archetypes and structure to it that it's hard for me to see it from from neutral eyes ever again yeah. Like once I started programming and processing data as a as a science and form of study and hobby, pastime, interest, whatever, it it changes the way you see them because you realize that every data is created at some point, you know, and there's no infidelity to it. That point is created exactly as it was told to be created in exactly yeah. the way that the laws of physics allow it to be created. So sometimes that means the data get corrupted when they're saved because a hard drive is imperfect. But that's what checksums and parity bits and stuff like that are for. They, you know, they, they keep it useful even when it's 
integrity isn't absolutely pristine as we'd like it to be. But where I think most people deviate from my point of view is they will see collections of data as immutable points of reference that are just, they're perfect and they're not. They're always collected with the collector's bias. Whoever wrote the script either said, well, it'll be way too much processing power for absolutely no benefit to get raw waveforms of audio rather than just compressed MP3 because you can still make out the words, you can still hear what, who says, you can still differentiate voices between two people. It's totally irrelevant to have a lossless format for audio, except if you're a historian doing music or you're transcoding vinyl records or you know, you're engineering and producing movies or commercials or television. Or working with sonic, you're doing sonic wave studies or something. Oh, especially, yeah. Once you start doing like ultrasonic tests and, and doing like air pressure density, you know, fluid dynamics formulations, you absolutely need floating point digits down to like 64 bits. <laughs> can we, uh, can I ask you about bias? Because a lot of, uh, it's a, uh, it's kind of a buzzword in, in university faculties. Uh, in the last 10 years, everyone likes to say, oh, it's just bias. And you can use it for a lot of things to dismiss something. You can use it to, um, to uh, say, oh, this has a bias or so. Uh, but a lot of the very few people I find uh, get and are able to explain the bias. So we talked a bit about it before, but I would, wouldn't mind if you could maybe try to define how yeah, this bias sure. manifests because you can say because a lot of people are saying you know uh, things like uh computers are racist or computers are sexist or computers are thisist or whatever ist but uh you have this idea of implicit bias but i feel like it's a lot more Nuanced oh yeah, there's a way, that. and I feel like that's <laughs> almost an overly simplistic, like such a simplistic view of you know coding to be absolutely irrelevant because the bias that a coder might have ha would have nothing to do with those things. It would have more to do with what they know about how computer works. So could you go into that a bit, maybe? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we talked a bit about it already before even without saying as much when we were talking about the polls and referencing people with cell phones and with landline connections that's a bias so attributing a statistical reference from a sample that is implicitly biased meaning that it only delves with people with landlines or only delves with people with cell phones or it double dips on people who have both landlines and cell phones um, that's a good example of bias that's that's off like overlooked and the reason to it is is because it's like all of you know human thinking you, you can't go around the world looking for electrons to be able to drive a car because knowing how many protons and neutrons and electrons are in the tree in front of you have no relevant bearing whatsoever on how hard you're going to break through the windshield if you hit the tree right so the fact of the matter is most things aren't useful in all resolutions at all times. There is almost absolutely nothing we could do in our lives that would be practical 
while maintaining a focus on all levels of scope and scale at the same time. So given that, we have to, just for our brains to function, we, we have to be able to compartmentalize things into pragmatic applications. So when we're dealing with things like scripts and codes, you have to see, well, the person writing the script, what was their intention and what are the limits and constraints to the resources available to help them achieve their goal? So if the goal is to acquire a whole bunch of data at very low cost, you'll probably be logging a bunch of text files or CSV files or something. But if you want to start getting meaningful data from uh, an optical sensor, an image is a lot more useful than a matrix. You don't want to be like pushing matrices around in your emails, say, oh, look at this cute kitty meme and have like just a whole bunch of numbers in a, in a plane. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? It's and like the that matrix would be a huge where, matrix. Yeah, the matrix like, where it's like, I don't even see the numbers anymore. And there's a blonde and a brunette and a redhead. Yeah, like, like totally does that. It's like cool. No, because it's, we're not just talking about two dimensions of X and Y. You're talking about two dimensions X, Y plus three dimensions of color RGB with 255 digit scopes across all three of those plus an alpha dimension that's a floating point anywhere from zero to one. And that's just for one static image. Then you've right. got a video and then you've got an audio layer and then the audio has got a compression layer and then it's stereo. So there's two audio compression layers through the video layer, through the matrix of RGB A coordinates. Like that would be an insane amount of numbers to look at and see a cat video. <laughs> yeah, and none of us, like we all work, uh, like I think we bias towards, I think, <clears throat> sorry, we could look at the world in a purely mathematical way, but it's, it doesn't work. We don't work like that. We need to interact with it via our senses and interpretation of that. Uh, and to, to most extents that works. Um, and just like that, we have to, we could read it outright and, but we interact with these things, not as like data, we interact with these things as, constructions of data which are rendered um, oh. and <clears throat> so i think the most dangerous aspect of data as they're being compiled by people is that we forget that people are compiling imperfect sets of data right so the data themselves are perfect in they were curated and developed the way we told the computer to acquire them but they're imperfect in the sense that we didn't say there's almost no case we're actually mapping out every proton and electron in physical space to define an object. Yeah. Likewise, there's almost no case where we're going to use math to describe the meaning of words. Right. Cause uh, it's easier to just we, say we can chair. Do it with machine. <laughs> yeah. We could do it with machine learning, but the computer doesn't actually know the value of a car. It just relates the value car to a whole bunch of other things you've told it are related already in the training data. Mm -hmm. So what it's actually doing is relating numbers and showing us a word based on numbers. That's not the same thing as actually understanding that a car could be either a Hyundai or a Toyota or a Ford. Like, because in speech, usually it's not relevant what model the car was if you're talking about I got a ride to work today. It doesn't matter what model car drove you to work. I drove my car. 
Mm. You know, if somebody, if you've got three cars and somebody asks you specifically, which car did you drive to work today? Then you'll go into that finer granular resolution and pull out a corpuscle of data that's relevant to them. A make, model, year, color, size, you know, how many wheels the vehicle had. Oh, so hold on bi a second. bias. Yeah. Okay. So the word bias is often used for like what people inject into data or an interpretation, but actual bias really refers Hold to on. anything that's just, yeah. oh, sorry, I thought you were done. <laughs> no, it's okay. So, yeah, sorry, uh, this is an important sentence. Could you? Yeah, so a lot of people consider bias itself as being something that personalities inject into things by being fallible humans and not thinking it through thoroughly enough or something, but that's not the case. Bias is also just a factor of our trying to grasp nature when nature is so big you'd need a computer bigger than the universe to process it. Right. So this cut this is this doesn't comes into this doesn't come down into uh, the bias of my perspective versus your perspective. This is the bias of uh, what one person thinks is useful data uh, rather than another person thinks is useful data. So it could 90% of the time, this probably wouldn't be an issue because it's like, why did they make that? Well, we see this all the time when you, you get a, uh, a program designed by a developer who made the UI in such a way that it's like, this is the best way to function the UI and everyone who gets it's like, why did they organize it like this? Um, oh, because it doesn't actually Microsoft. work. It works for them or like, uh, it works for them, but it doesn't work for, you know, most of humanity because they're like oh this is you know the best way uh, uh so ideas in a vacuum work for <laughs> no one but uh then when you put it out the bias ends up being you know this is what they thought was useful and then uh you get data that is actually uh, data sets that have no relation to what is actually needed to be useful because you know Google oh. thought you needed to see everything about Trump all the time, and it's like, I don't. That's not. I don't care what Trump says at his speeches. I don't care. But because Google thinks that's useful data, I get a bias towards uh, you know Trump politics or something. And we, but then at the same time, how does this translate into what the individual should do when encountering? Uh, you know, these um, implied usefulnesses of, uh, implied use of data. Well, there's some tricks you can do, like just brain hacks, basically, life hacks. And you probably came across this in your critical thinking studies, but anytime somebody presents you with information, just ask yourself, what did they miss? Yeah. Or anytime a politician says something, vote, okay, that's the story they're willing to tell the public. So that's the best possible light they could put it to favor their own personal gains. What other way could that have been framed? So you're saying we already have the tools to deal with it because... Well, we, we do, but we don't because we, we've overtaken education systems with marketing systems and like economics, and there is no economics of education. If people yeah. learn slower, just take more time. There's no rushing it through to get standardized test scores so that you get more funding so that you can pay yourself more as an administrator of a college. Right. Like none of that is at all useful 
to our ultimate goal of having educated human beings. Yeah, I have a So when people saying. forget their, their, their major priority, their major priority of an educational facility is to facilitate education. Yeah, I've got a, <laughs> I've got a saying that I've been that, but... mulling over, and I think I actually might want to do a class on this, is, uh, not a class, a, uh, a thing on this where uh, marks podcast. aren't for this, what? Yeah, podcast. Marks aren't actually for the students. They're for the administration and the teachers. Uh, mm -hmm because your focus shouldn't be on whether or not you're getting a good mark. The focus should be on, did you learn what you needed to learn in order to do the thing you want to do with your knowledge? And did you yeah. learn enough? You can always read more, but like at the same time, did you learn it well enough? Because I remember writing papers and I'd get a B and I was like, no, I was a C paper. I knew whether or not I did right or wrong. I usually knew because I, was did I because whatever matters is the only thing that matters for the student is did you learn what you were needing to learn and the bias there is you need to learn uh to get the mark and then the bias implies that you're only there to get the mark and therefore only there to get the degree when the degree is just something it's 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 a piece of monetary abstraction that says this guy did enough work to be able to have said that he learned this or that. Um, yeah, it's a proof of a baseline of knowledge. It's not proof of an extent of knowledge. That's right. what really drove me away from academia and the pedagogues right from the get-go, right out of high school. It drove um, me absolutely insane that people would get better marks than me knowing less than me. Right. And I remember that's probably just narcissism. That, but. <laughs> I remember meeting people that were, well, or meeting people that would be like, oh, I don't read anything that's not on the syllabus. I only read what the professor tells me to read. Uh, I don't do anything. It's like, no, like if they mention something or you, it's like, wait, I read, like I was reading constantly outside the lines in university because knowledge is knowledge. It's like, and I met so many people that were, I'm just doing what I need to do because the professor knows. No, professor's just you in the future if like you took that path. They're just as lost as the rest of us. Mm -hmm. but they're lost with a knowledge set, a data set that they can pass on to their students. Um, they're just people. And that's what a lot of students forget. So we're interacting with that, that system of data in a way in that bias that gets us a certificate when the real goal, when you look at it, you know, from a, you step back from your own life and do the meta-analysis of your life and you find out that what you need is the skills because if you get a job and all you have is a certificate telling them that you've got the uh, the knowledge but you don't actually have the skills or the know-how well you're actually making that that uh that institution or that organization weaker uh you're yeah. not bringing value to the people around you uh that's very that's it's a very, uh, a lot of people aren't gonna like that phrase, but did you learn what you need to do to be able to do your job? And it biases towards what's your mark, not how would you perform this task? Um, anyway. Yeah, it, it, sort that, of, it sort of hijacks the focus of your studies, right? Like your right. efforts become a means to an end for a point rather than a means to an end for a qualia. 
Yeah, now if we graph this onto data, then what's the purpose of having all this? So you have a article from a news thing that's saying this and you can step back and look at it, but then you just read the headline and it's organized so that you just read the headline and see a ton of ads and you have to like find the script in the news website. Uh, you turn on a ad blocker and it gets a bit better, but you know, you still have to sift through a video and a thing before you actually get to the actual article. Uh, online journalism is. Oh, it's <laughs> disgusting. And I actually blasted the free press for it. And I was like, if you guys want readerships, then you guys, then you should really stop making paywalls and or privacy walls, as I called them, because they were just asking for your email. It's no big deal. Yeah. yeah. You're pretending it's no big deal. Then why are you enforcing it? Why are you making it absolutely impossible for me to consume your content without giving you my email address? Well, it's the same thing. If you go up, so it is a big deal. Don't it lie is. To me. Well, and you get the thing. You know where... what the response was? Sorry, I just want to. Oh, you actually finish. emailed them. Yeah. No, I, I posted on Twitter or whatever and blasted them for it. And the response is, we don't need, we don't have declining readership. We have more readers than ever. And that I said, sounds... okay, well that. That just proves my point that you're the ones being greedy assholes with your content. Like you're intentionally making it harder for people to be educated as the free press. On the same thing with just the National Post and the Global Mail. Now, which which one is easier to read? Now, one is a it's predominantly leans conservative. The other one leans predominantly liberal uh, along the party lines in Canada. but if you go and try and read a National Post article, you can go and read a National Post article and the script is right there. But if you go and try and read a Globe and Mail article, which I often do want to read a Globe and Mail article, um, there you can read the first three lines or something and then it's like, please sign up for this blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, no, I, yeah. I other people, other institutions in the same, uh, using the same medium seem to have found a way to get their words out to the people without instituting a paywall which means that the liberal the liberal uh you know liberal party press uh that side of the political spectrum in canada has their words behind a paywall and that means that the bias in canadian uh journalism is going to lean towards the National Post because it's more accessible. And mm-hmm. this is uh, like, okay, this is the same bias that was before. You print more books, there's gonna be more books out there for people to read. Uh, you make it easier, but it's the same. That's how the digital world works. If you make it hard to get your movie, people are gonna pirate it. <laughs> if you, uh, if you, you know, like it's like HBO. No one's gonna buy HBO. Sorry, HBO. No one does. Um, but we all pirated Game of Thrones. Like tough. I don't care. <laughs> like but I think there's a motivation there, right? Where there's not as much motivate. Oh, I really want a table full of data. Like nobody's gonna go out of their way to pirate the the free press's paywalled. Right. Exactly. Like. Articles. People that's, wanted to watch Glow and Mail. They would go through a hoop or two. Like we bought, we have, we like, we pay for certain services, uh, like streaming services, because it's 
more digitally, it is more efficient to bring it to us in that manner. It's if more efficient to pay for it than to pirate those things uh, because of the nature of service. Now, the, those companies that have survived like that have looked at their digital bias, not the, okay, I don't use, not bias in the right, they, they've looked at their digital uh, necessities of what they're trying to do, and they've, the successful ones have done a good job of instituting a digital construct, uh, a way of formatting their data into a medium, and a new digital medium that allows their, what they want to do. Um, and so I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of that in the, in the near future. The companies that, and organizations that are aware of their digital necessities of what they're trying to do will be more successful. Um, and that's not to say that the Global Mail will die, um, because a lot of people still buy the paper Global Mail. Um, it's still there in the, in the coffee shops and at the, at the, the Max or 7-Elevens. But, um, and there still will be a need in Canada for the liberal, uh, the liberal press, um, just as there's a need for a conservative press. Uh, so. But there's consequences to it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So even if it works for now and the successful newspaper is the one that makes the most revenue from what the content they produce, Mm -hmm. eventually you're going to come to a time where everybody's going to start getting their media from bloggers and stuff because they don't want to pay for it. Well, they already have, but yeah, they go to Imgur yeah, for their news updates. It's like, oh, that's a great place to get Now it. they're getting paid through the, through selling people's data. They're not getting paid by subscriptions like they were before. Right. I mean, they still collect subscription money, but that used to be that and ad revenue was all of their money. So now when you go to look at an article, there are 15 times more ads there and they're embedding ads that look like part of the article, which mm -hmm. is disinformation. It's yeah, even that's... worse than not informing people. You're misinforming people for pay. And in addition to that, you're paying them a subscription so that you're allowed the privilege of being marketed to as a disinformation campaign. Like that is so insane that it, it can't support itself long-term. You're going to have a whole generation of people that say, why would I even read this if I can watch a YouTube article or video with a YouTuber who's actually thought about what they're writing down? Right. And that's what a lot of people are doing. They're moving away yeah. from the old mediums and actual journalists are saying, okay, I'm just going to so do journalism, journalism on my own and self-publish on YouTube or BitChute or whatever. And then you've got no oversight of the work they're doing. So now people are going to believe anybody who sounds confident. Right. Not just because the paper actually vetted them for being quality journalists. But they just have a lot of subscribers and that's what the algorithm feeds and it's a it's a recursive loop. You get more subscribers, the more views you get. You get more views, the more subscribers you get. Right. So you can keep publishing content without any oversight or and you could be influencing people across the entire country. Meanwhile, the media giants who should be doing this job for us, that's why we protected them under the Charter of Human Rights, the freedom of the press. Mm. Like the reason we did that was to make sure that access to accurate information that was overlooked by professionals was available because that's good for all of society. Right. Not having that is detrimental to an entire generation, if not more, of future people. 
Well, it's like coming human down to beings' lives to, come down to this. Well, it's coming down to the individual to need to be discriminating, uh, which means we need to fund education. Um, mm, just critical up. thinking. Uh, like we need to yeah. applaud people for critical thinking. We should and, pat them on the back, not just for being um, activists or outspoken, but for having a quality outspoken opinion. Right. And even more than just critical thinking, because anybody can be a critic. I mean, anyone can be critical of something. I don't like that. Why? Because it's stupid. Oh, wow, very nuanced. But <laughs> he's proper. I wouldn't call that thinking or critical. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but that comes down to there's always going to be, you know, charlatan reporting. But I, I think, yeah, what I think it comes down to that is that you need the individuals to become more. And that comes down to also, we need to also treat the public as if they're not children. Um, here's, here's your spoonful of information today. Uh, you know, okay, let's see on this side, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell, here you go, orange man bad. Okay, here you go. They're gonna take your guns. It's like, oh, geez, could you, uh, you both so this is where i'd like to hear your opinion on the subject because as an educator yourself i'd like to know what your input is how, how do you teach someone to be thoughtful and pensive and ruminating <laughs> uh usually uh what i would do because almost pretty much what was done to me uh <laughs> was you get them to form an opinion uh because like an actual opinion not just like I like the color blue. Why? I no, just like it. But the, like an opinion, like what, so you, you encounter a piece of media, say any book. What did you think? Uh, how did you, and then get them to be conscious of how they're interacting with it. What did you do? What were you thinking while you were reading it? How did you react? Now, what's your opinion of this piece? Tell me something about it that you thought. And then you attack it. <laughs> And then they get used to refining their interpretation of it. So not just, uh, okay, why did I, why did I think that was a good argument? Cause he just tore it apart in front of me. Why did, why did I, uh, how do I come up with a, a more nuanced argument that will stand up to that scrutiny? And I think that's where, um, you need that public realm, but you need to not have those barriers between, uh, say, the readers of the National Post and the readers of the Global Mail. They need to be talking to each other and yelling at each other, uh, rather than yelling at, you know, the other people in their group. And I think, because I remember, well, Frank, period, new sentence. Uh, when I was in school, I remember being on the uh, opposite side of the debate very often because well, sometimes I thought it was more fun and sometimes it's because I thought the majority of the class was just going with what seemed right. Uh, and it really sharpened my, um, my, the creation of a nuanced opinion and the other thing that was that would be one the ability to create nuanced opinions through the practice of debate and nuance, make in the creation of opinions 
Now the other thing can I, is, can I just ask you quickly on that? Is that yeah. sort of like galvanizing what you what you're taking in as just knowledge? Yeah, because like, this is a skill. Than... Like you can't just yeah. you have to develop the skill. Dang it! What was that other thing? I had a second point that was really important. <laughs> Dang it! Sorry, I lost it. It was gone. Okay, what was I? What was I saying? Um, what was I saying? <laughs> You were, you were sort of talking about how like people who are um, debating get more out of the discussion. You were saying that the media giants should be arguing each other rather than just pushing one own agenda. Right, and that's to some extent what they're doing. Well, you can see, but it's 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 just coming across as very childish. You see CNN and Fox going at each other, and I can't even listen anymore to either of them. Well, they're both uh, right wing, so <laughs> well, to them it's just it's just viewership and money to them. Yeah, exactly. So one of them picks a side and then they argue against each other. I think that jeez, oh, I had a point I can't even remember it. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, it's just I wanted to clear up to make sure I was following. No, it's good. Uh I might remember it again. <laughs> But uh, this is why I have a notepad in front of me, so my brain thinks of something. But, um, I, oh yeah, that was it, sorry. Is that you create opinion and you need to realize that, so the creation of the opinion as yourself, but you need to realize that you are an individual. And an individual that interacts with things as an individual, not as a group, not as a member of your writing or this you can form an opinion as yourself and not necessarily go with what the rest of the class thinks. You have to be open to being wrong, obviously, because we're all wrong about something at some time. Um, but arguing from a point as an individual uh, allows you to come up with a more nuanced opinion. I think this, and that's, you know, partially right. And he thinks that, and that's, he's partially right. And she thinks this, and that's partially right. And when we all put it together, we come up with something that's more partially right. Uh, and when we do it as a group, well, like the group of people that watch CNN, or the group of people that watch Fox, or the group of people that read this newspaper, the group of people that read that newspaper, your literacy, you're surrendering your literacy and your and your own nuance to allow a proxy to do it for you. And I, I think, think you run that risk when you're reading too though, right? Yes, but reading also gives you new ideas. So, you know, I can have an opinion and you, you can't get anything from nothing. You need, if you want to build a sculpture, you need, you know, you need clay and books provide that data uh <laughs> yeah we're gonna kind of bring it back the clay that is data you need to the more of this you read and the more varied you read the more data you work with and the better structure you can build um because an idea is a set of data constructed in a certain way that allows us to work with other ideas and sets of data so the more That's sets of data a really you good have, way of putting it. Thanks. So the more sets of data you have, the more varied of a construction you can come up with. 
uh, and which is why read books is that you know that Tyrion Lannister quote you know I read books to sharpen my you know mind just like you sharpen your sword but we all need to be that guy nowadays because our minds now are more important than our swords uh, in the present day and I hope uh, our society maintains that uh, that uh, distinction but in order to do that we need to sharpen all of our minds uh, and that means well, the stuff we've been talking about so what I think we should bring this back to data <laughs> datum in what sense like find a new like there are so many avenues to explore I think more we should try and bring this back to the beginning like the utility? Because we started by defining, we started by trying to define data. And I think we came up with something good, but it became something non-digital very quickly. Uh, well, data isn't inherently digital. It's oh, all I, yes. points of information. I think that's a distinction. Uh, I remember my, uh, my professor, Greg Bach, had us, imbibe the fact that ones and zeros aren't abstract. They are real physical things. They're just really small and we can't see them and they're in a box and they're represented as something else on a screen. And they're just another point of data. I, you know, I'm just, I guess I'm just ham-handedly trying to throw the ball back into your court. <laughs> oh, well, I, I could, play both sides of that argument. I mean, the one side is, yeah, data are finite points. And how we interpret them is the information that we derive from them, because they are in and of themselves pure and simple. Mm. But when we neglect the, the application of them, or when, when we don't, when we don't acknowledge the constraints, oh, like, explicitly every study should have constraints to the study and the methodology is a huge part of every research paper right yeah what's your p-value <laughs> yeah <laughs> or like your sigma five sigma certainty and you know it, it's all about probabilities and that comes down to the fundamental nature of like, like physics everything is expressed in probabilities when you break it down far enough because there is no there is no neuron that fires a thought. There is no electron that goes from one neuron to another neuron and say that's a memory. Uh, there are chemical responses and there are neurological responses to stimuli, but they are not in and of themselves intrinsically the datum. It's always gonna be an interpretation or a collection or a methodology issue or a sample size issue, or even our math could be wrong. It could be a calculation issue. So for, for your professor, and again, I'm not saying that he's wrong because it's probably a mischaracterization on my, characterization on my part, just based on scope and context of the, his field of study, which is completely fine and accurate and valid my perspective as a market analyst and forecaster or a programmer would be just fundamentally different based on my use of data yeah so as another example to that would be if 
if knowledge were somehow pure and simply possible to be known, and this goes back to like Plato and Socrates and Aristotle and stuff, but if it were possible to have a piece of data that is actually known, like your height, your height changes based on when you wake up and when you measure. It's the longer you I sleep, the taller up. you'll be. Yeah. If I lay down, I'm three inches taller than when I. Uh, but but stand even up. literally, like your spine extends while you stay sleeping all night. So when you stand up in the morning, you will be taller than you were when you went to bed the night Unless before. Unless you're judging it from you know the back. If I'm laying down in the back, touching the ground to my chest. <laughs> no, sorry. anything because the yeah. the compression the com the vertical compression of being upright over the day will squeeze your discs together and you will be physically shorter no matter yeah. how straight you try to stand up. So and that but that's an that's an irrelevant point if you're trying to figure out what the best door size for houses is because you don't need to know down to the molecule the average height of most people to build a door that fits all people. Right. So like we have to keep in mind the application of the data we're, we're, we're using. So for another example, like the, um, the metadata that we, we dole out to companies and just trust that they're, you know, not doing anything nefarious with it, or I got nothing to hide. I don't need privacy or whatever stupid argument you want to come up with. <laughs> the fact of the matter is somebody is taking resources out of the economy resources that would otherwise be allocated to things like education and infrastructure and food supply chains and healthcare, all of these super important things. We're siphoning money out of a finite resource economy to feed people who are actively not only not contributing to society's well-being, but they're actively disinforming a society and making, making the whole structure of our organized system fail. And that's why it should be a problem. It's not, an, it's not necessarily a problem that we have differing ideas on the same data and that we want to talk about it and find out what's true, what's not true. What's, what's really problematic is that we're not teaching people how to think. Right. And so because, again, the medium is the message, the, we're saying we, because we're not, we're interacting with this medium and it's being given to us and we're not because we're not puking it up going this is garbage data we are being fed more of it uh because we're not thinking about what we're eating uh and so the medium isn't changing uh or it's not yeah or go back to your other example of buying things right with the mm -hmm. review system reviews are super handy until somebody hires 20 kids to sit there and generate a whole bunch of accounts and make fake reviews yeah. Well, then not only is it not helpful, it's lying. Like it's making people do things that they think is based on accurate information and their own research and knowledge when it's not. Right. And like something with only five star reviews uh, is usually just as uh, dubious as something with, you know, a couple one star reviews. Um, right. So with, with that knowledge, I might start generating fake reviews that are four and a half stars. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? I can use that data that you just presented me on the data that I'm presenting you to then present you with other data. It's a recursive problem that we have to 
we have to look at and pay attention to and focus on because it will only get worse exponentially. It will only get monumentally bigger as a problem the right. longer we don't deal with it and look at it in the face. What, um, what kind of scenarios long-term do you see this resulting in? Uh, so we don't deal with this worst case scenario 20 years from now, 40 years from now, what do you see? Uh, lots of war, lots of famine. Uh, you, you'll have full generations of people who, who don't know how to function productively and all of them are going to be out to seek their own personal gain without productive contribution. So gone will be the days of heralding somebody for being a farmer because it's, it's, it's an artisan, you know, respectable field or trade or carpentry or whatever. We'll, we'll start plumbers. We've already started plumbers and carpenters. I can't yeah. respect these people enough because it's a, it's window guys, it's flooring guys, like it doesn't matter, like productive. But in, in the 80s and 90s, we started thinking that, well, bankers make tons of money. So being a banker means that you're good mm -hmm. or that you're, uh, you know, it was like a respectable trade, like a doctor. It's nowhere near being a doctor. Trading fractions of pennies on currency markets is not worth more than a doctor. You should never get paid more money to move around uh, like futures contracts when the farmer themselves is getting subsidies from the government to produce the, the commodity that you're selling futures contracts of. Right. That's insane. So <laughs> to bring this back, how does this, uh, how do, as, how does this overemphasis on what, uh, I guess, uh, the curators of our data how does that result in famine and war? Because we can automate, uh, fa like farmers have become more and more technologically savvy. And now a farmer does create, one farmer creates uh, more yield than 50 years ago with less work. But um, they, there are still things that will lead us that we do rely on. So uh, how is this going to create? So um, how do I say this? I think I know what you're asking. Yeah. Just go ahead. Then. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Just assume uh, that. Please. A perfect example would be Monsanto. So Monsanto is patenting genes of crops and then yeah, suing okay. farmers for beans cross-pollinating from another crop from the With farmer. The they, <laughs> and they have, they have, there's nothing they can do about that. Right. But we're rewarding Monsanto, we're rewarding Monsanto shareholders, and we're taking money out of the tax base to subsidize it, just so Monsanto can get richer than farmers when they're, they're the ones causing the farming problem. Right. So a lot of people might say, well, people would starve if we didn't have Monsanto. No. Just because Monsanto didn't patent it doesn't mean nobody would have ever figured it out. That's flat out bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Allowing companies like, like Pfizer and Johnson and Johnson or the Sackler families that created the opioid crisis, all that persisted because they manipulated data. The smoking thing, like they spent decades telling people yeah. smoking didn't harm them. That was flat out bullshit and it killed people. 
Another a lot of old example literature, is, even from like the 20s and the late 19th century, I've found uh, instances of people being like, oh, I don't smoke. It's, it's uh, I can't think of a thing, but they're like, oh, I don't smoke. It's, uh, it's bad for you. It's like, yeah. And it's just like, wait, wait, wait. This is a very old piece of literature and they're already bringing this up. Uh, the same thing can be said for things like um, cannabis use. Uh, I believe uh -huh. it was you that introduced me to the studies in the 30s, which were uh, really uh, just geared with nonsense towards making this illegal because they thought it would solve a problem uh, which didn't exist and made things worse. Uh, or the idea of the war on drugs in itself, which creates, yeah, <laughs> which is a quagmire in itself and doesn't serve to, uh, it doesn't make anything better. But we're told because of the data headline says war on drugs, drugs bad, and therefore we're having to go to war with it because war is destructive of something bad uh, and therefore good. Um, so we have this simple logic and the, it doesn't matter if it's good, but we're not looking at whether or not the resulting data, we're only looking at the, uh, what do you call that? The uh, justification data. We're not looking at the resulting data and the resulting data, it doesn't look promising. Um, but we're not changing our, uh, we're not changing our stance on it. We're not looking at things. We're looking at the, the data is coming. I think what you're saying is the data is going to come at us based on what, uh, is wanted to be shown to us. And therefore a lot of misunderstandings will lead to results that aren't correlated with the uh with the reasoning and therefore we're going to be digging our own hole is that kind of what you're getting at sort of but what i was getting at was more the harm caused by you good yeah i just hit my leg don't worry about it oh i'll get over it the harm caused by this is like for instance the making marijuana illegal where they made up data to say that it was harmful to society if we allowed it that was a racist propaganda yeah. machine and meanwhile Mostly the last two years in canada hispanic people nothing's changed <laughs> in yeah. fact no one cares in within a well month. actually plenty has changed drug abuse has gone down like yeah. alcoholism's gone down yeah you've had less spousal abuse you've had less um hate crimes uh there's all kinds of things that marijuana is good, even though, it's, like, I'm not saying it's good for no, everybody. But all those things that we were told cases. might happen, like, uh, didn't. Nobody's robbing a bank because they got stoned on marijuana. Right. Absolutely nobody is that motivated when they're stoned to get up and, like, hold a gun to someone's face and start screaming. But at like, the same time, happen. no one, like, both sides were, like, we didn't get the, you know, criminal wasteland that, you know, some people thought. And we also didn't get the you know, utopian paradise that the 420 people were promising us because society is still society. It's just now society with weed. Yeah. And people are just, we have the same thing, just more chill. <laughs> and honestly, it's better, but it's not revolutionary. It's just- No, but the, the more extreme version of the harm that's being caused though, where I get to like war and famine is like Ethiopia in the nineties 
Yeah. When they were when they were experiencing their famine, they had made trade policies that required them to sell some of their grain to other countries in exchange for like implements of war and stuff like that. And then when the people break down into civil war because there's a famine and the government's selling their food when people are starving to death, like that's chaos for generations. That's traumas that are actual traumas, not just SJW trauma. Uh. I'm talking like actual trauma where people's growth is stunted and their brains don't develop properly. And I remember seeing pictures on the news. Babies are dying. uh, Of starving African people. And it was like, I was maybe 10. And I I vividly remember those, those pictures. Uh, But that never stopped. Like we've been overthrowing governments through Central America and South America over drug wars. Yeah. And the drugs we know as experts will all, almost all, agree that it's a medical like addiction is a medical problem some people get addicted easier than others it's a medical issue you don't treat it by criminalizing a medical issue right the definition of a medical issue is something that's biological it's not to do with the substance you're intaking it's a mental problem with wanting to intake it right by not dealing with that health problem you're letting the health problem get worse. And then you're starting a war and diverting funds away from helping the people who are poor and gravitating towards drugs because they can't afford fun things to do or fulfilling lives or they give it up on life because they have no opportunity or whatever the case is, right? Mm-hmm. You're funding overthrowing other stable democracies in the name of drugs so that you can confiscate their oil or their their diamond mine or their gold or whatever, right? So they're using it specifically to engineer threats that don't exist, like the caravan of migrants. Like, yeah. You're the ones that overthrew Venezuela's democracy. I Why are the- you blocking refugees from Venezuela from coming into your country seeking asylum? Like, or the data the says the data says that there's WMDs in the desert. That kind of thing. Yeah. But now um kind of to round this out that was worst case scenario in the future we continue doing what we were doing well we're always going to be human but what would you say a best case scenario would be it went for you best case scenario would be that we develop systems that we rely on and then we argue about the systems to make the systems better with tribunals and committees and forums or whatever but it shouldn't be open to interpretation whether or not raising or lowering the um, the overnight lending rate at the central bank is going to trickle down. Like we shouldn't just be able to say things that are verifiably inaccurate. We should all object to it flat out. We should just not want any leadership involved who don't know how to read. <laughs> Period. Yeah. So what is and a the best case scenario would be that because then you'd have policies that always are at least incrementally improving society. So even I've if heard... they're not the best solution, it's yeah. always an improvement. So I've heard talk recently online about uh, systems like um, you have an AI system that automatically facts checks claims made during a debate or something like that, or uh, you have a televised. Uh, so we have these new mediums, essentially, is what you're saying, is that we have an opportunity to do ourselves over, but we also have an opportunity to use these new mediums to do something good. So you have Parliament going, and you have a guy in Parliament doing a speech, 
and all of a sudden you have while they're speaking you know we will increase uh spending you know pick a parliament in the world i don't care uh the pick we will increase spending on this and it'll do this and the ai does you know quick maths uh because this job is literally just maths and just finding you know did you actually are you saying this it verifies the type of statement it is and it is able to pick out and uh search through the data because the data will always be there and it's the internet is still a useful thing it's just we need to use it right uh you don't hold a sword by the blade um mm -hmm. but the uh and it can go and you know a little light goes on bah, you're lying bing yes that's true or you know it only goes brown when you're lying uh and or it displays multiple uh you know you so you're watching uh cpac on one screen or like like we have the du dual screens here and then you see the CPAC broadcast on one and the other one you have, uh, you know, they're making a claim about this. And at the same time, you have various articles coming up and data points coming up that they're talking about. So instead of just saying things, you say things while the data is right there in front of you. So they're talking about unemployment and the not the not the published numbers, but the actual found numbers of unemployment are right there while they're talking about it. So they can't say unemployment's down, but then everyone looks over at the graph, you know, from, from like collected data and they can see that, oh wait, it's not down or it hasn't moved. What are you talking about? And then everyone out there can see the data. So yes, discussion, that's why we have parliament, but parliament can be augmented with the, these things. We don't just need to watch the discussion we can watch the discussion with the data there that they're talking about and not just there so you know you could because you can always go and find it but mm -hmm. what if you had a system of broadcast where you know it says okay now we're going to talk about uh speed limits uh which is a big thing in alberta i saw a thing that they're going to lower the median speed limit to 40 kilometers an hour and I'm just thinking, okay, and we're gonna, this is going to stop fatalities on the road. And we're just like, will it? Well, so you can see data points. What were fatalities on the road this when it was 50 kilometers an hour? What were, what were fatalities on the road when it was 60 kilometers an hour? What are fatalities in Calgary when it was uh, lowered to 40 kilometers an hour or 30 kilometers an hour? Does, does this actually help? Um, and then the seeing this data on the screen which would be a very complicated system but still you know we've done impossible things before but uh the it would force them to actually talk based on not just on talking points and sound bites and well i'm an attractive for politicians so how could you say this and every you know all the guys will be like yeah you should listen to her but um they would be forced to actually talk to the actual data and not to their platform. And the <coughs> platform would become more in line with that. Now that brings up the question, who watches the watchers? And I think you mentioned that you have a, a system that would be outside of that. So you'd need a, and then we come back. Well, to we have proven that. systems like that already though. Oh, we, we just need to, format Example? them similarly linux like linux yes okay yeah since 1985 microsoft and apple have been engaged in antitrust problem like up the yin yang the entire time 
yeah, anti-competitive, monopolistic behavior, for-profit seeking, and it makes Windows exclusionary. <laughs> yeah, now they're all based on Linux, even though Linux is still open source and always has been. Mm-hmm. And you know, for the longest time, they said, "Oh, Linux will never compete with Microsoft and Apple. It'll never be as because they have way more reason." But the thing is about humans is a lot of people will do shit for free. <laughs> yeah, I've noticed Just that too. Because they believe in it. When they believe in something. Look at pirating. But at the same okay, you mentioned <laughs> open source and I think this is where I think this is important because you nailed you nailed it I think there is. Now open source is allows people you have an open source code. And well, there, there are different not, open source licenses, though. Yeah, but there at the are, same yeah. time, if you have this and you're able to go in and say, so if you have this software that, you know, acts within the televisation of important meetings and stuff like that, keeping accountability by showing the data in real time, if you make it open source and as open source as possible, uh, with the proper security. So, you know, it's like, oh, that's how the system works. I'm gonna, you know, draw, you know, memes on, on the, uh, the CPAC videos. But if you keep it open source and people with the knowledge can go in and raise questions about it. What's this line here for? What's this line here for? Why did you implement this? And then the system itself will have a check and balance uh, through open source. Um, much like many open source programs do, you have forums dedicated to every open source program going, wait, why did you code this like this? Like, why would you do that? And then the programs become better and better and better. Uh, in my field, you have like BitCurator and Archivematica, which are open source alternatives to uh, archival problems that are augmented by its use in the archival world. So they become better the more they're used. And I see open source as being a very uh, useful way of managing this. And the moment it becomes, well, we're going to make a change. Don't worry about it. Uh, we'll handle it. That's the first red flag. Because when something open source and when something where everyone can look at it is be like, we're going to do something, just trust us. That's the first time that we can stop, that we can no longer trust the system. And I think that's... Something. But that's why you need a system that is impervious to that type of corruption. I call that corruption, whether it's like evil or not, because it's irrelevant to me because it's somebody like imposing an influence on a system. Yeah, for so what they the think way, is right. The way open source code works is you have everything segregated into modules. So the Linux philosophy is everything, if you need a program that just displays images, Somebody writes the module for displaying images and somebody else can write a driver so that that module works on another piece of equipment. So everybody can write all these tiny, tiny little pieces, but all of those pieces are testable and provable and they're all subject to change. So if any one of them is flawed or has a crash, anyone's allowed to say, here's my version of the exact same driver. It's got a period instead of a colon that changes the stability of it across this many systems that we know exists. It's provably better. And then they implement it in the next release after it's been checked by the community. So like they have open research papers and stuff in the community as well, but they stress this anonymity thing and blah, blah, blah. They go into politics all over again. Right. Like, so 
the open source software community has devised systems of collaborating with projects like GitHub is a perfect example of this, yes. where you submit change requests, you can download clones so you can mess around and play with it at home. But if government used models that were based on this, people could say, your methodology is flawed. I just wrote a script. Here's my white paper explaining how my script proves that my new script is better than your old one and where your flaws are. Yeah. Then you release that before it's updated and everybody gets a copy of it. And before it's put into use and implemented, everybody discusses the change first. Someone's and then like you're the... discussing material changes to a policy rather than discussing who said the policy and right. what you hope their, their goals will be or what you hope their legibility will be. Right. It's almost like, like the Wikipedia model where you can't just make a change anymore. It has to be vetted uh, and things can get flagged. And then there's an all in every page, there's a little talk tab at the top that says, that shows you the discussion based on what's happening in the page. And sometimes it's, the link is broken, but sometimes it's, uh, you know, there's an error here. I've actually gone into the talk tabs and said, you know, this doesn't actually have a proper citation. Please be wary of this. And I don't know if it's been changed, I have to check it, but that, I think this is, this is actually, you know, seems doable. And, uh, well, it absolutely is. Like we've proven it's doable by having Microsoft and Apple both finally start using Linux kernel. Mm -hmm. Like, and it didn't take them as long as Apple and Microsoft did to make a program as good as Linux is because they never mm -hmm. have. So I, I think the information's out there. Like YouTube is a perfectly, well, for now it's a good example. I mean, Google still does a lot with the algorithms and you know, favoring advertisers and certain channels and demonetizing people, but put all that aside. You've got uh, MIT and Harvard and UC Berkeley, UCLA, Stanford, they're all producing free courseware that anyone can just watch hours and hours and hours worth of course lectures by the best teachers in the world. That's supposed that to be a shout out to that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's got a bunch on YouTube. Anyway. Like he did uh, some d debates and stuff too, but yeah, yeah I, I think what we should be doing though, like academically to fix our political problems and our sociology problems is focusing on scientific methodologies mm -hmm. because scientific methodologies, once they're clean, then you've scrubbed out corruption and all that excess resources that get funneled to the wrong people. And I'm not saying people shouldn't get rich. There's nothing stopping from somebody from, you know, creating something of value and making money from it. Yeah. But when you're giving exclusive rights to certain people like insulin manufacturers, and then you're excluding people from in health insurance to pay for it, you've got price fixing and price fixing and subsidies. Where's the benefit to society? Like right. we don't benefit when our neighbors are starving to death because that turns them into criminals or, you know, they're desperate people. That's what desperate people do. They fight right. wars, they cause violence. So we're causing problems by trying to like acquire for ourselves to secure our own families and our own well-being and our own standards of living. while we're ignoring the fact that our, the greatest threat to our standard of living is our, our greedy acquisition. That's the reason we need to acquire more is because we're making it so hard for people to have basic things that we have to hoard everything ourselves now, which makes the problem worse. 
Whereas if we fixed methodology, methodological problem with the system, not to say that money doesn't work, but when we stop giving like capital gains incentives to people who don't need to work, like they should be taxed even more than workers, not less. Right. <laughs> you shouldn't tax someone less for not working. And then making more by not working. Like they're making hand over fist more people who earn their income through capital gains are making hundreds of thousands where the average income for a household of two people working full time is like 45,000. Right. Like that's insane. So I think, I think we've come to a pretty good conclusion here uh, with this. Cause um, I don't want to just devolve into complaining, but <laughs> almost because this, idea of an open source thing is something that maybe we could get into it again in another thing but oh think, yeah we could do a whole episode on that i'm sure right but i think for now the having the idea uh and having this as a you know half thought out alternative for proper and responsible data usage as a society and as individuals um and would allow us to correct some of the pitfalls that we're experiencing. Not to say that we won't find new problems in another 60 years that we had never even thought of. Uh, but that's one problem at a time, I guess. Um, yeah. so I think uh, it might be time to wrap this up. Any final thoughts? Um, just thanks for having me on the show. Always appreciate the, uh, the banter, of course. Yeah. More uh, so when we can structure something together. It feels like it's like housekeeping for the brain. <laughs> it does. It really kind of lets it off. It's like all those thoughts that you kind of had inside. You just got to get them out, you know, organize yeah. them. So feels good. All right. Um, yeah. Uh, Did you have any final thoughts? Though? What's, uh, what's your general impressions of, of data and society and where we're moving, where we come from? So based on... Uh, well, we looked just at data. our conversation here, just generally. Yeah. I think uh, I've become fascinated with this idea of an open source automatic. Uh, oh, good. That was my goal. <laughs> yes. So, um, yeah, we, we can talk about that in the future because I think this is a good idea that needs to be explored more. So uh, the next Chris episode, maybe, unless you get ins to talk about it. Um, there are other things I... There's tons of things we can talk about, so we, we don't, we're not going to run out of material. So, um, yeah. So today is election day, one of the uh, interesting times of the year. So uh, I think now more than ever, we do need to be talking about this stuff. Uh, and not just other side bad. We need to be looking to the fundamentals of why we're having and talking around like this. So. For um, real. Yeah. All right. Cool. Uh, well, thanks again. Yeah. Thank you, everyone who actually tuned in to watch. Uh, if you have questions, just you know, write them down. Let us know if you have anything to add. Uh, if you want to help out the channel, just like and subscribe. We're not asking for money or nothing. Yep. So we'll see you next time. Same channel. All right. All right. Lady brother. Bye. Yeah. Uh -huh.